Well, we continue with our study on the Sermon on the Mount, and so let me ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. You'll find that on page 811 in the Bibles that we have for you in the pews. Some years ago when we had all of our children at home with us still, uh, I was really, really tired one night and went to bed early before our kids did, before Judy did, and I was trying to go to sleep, turned the lights out, lying in bed, kind of getting ready to doze off to sleep, when all of a sudden my 16-year-old son, Wesley, yells, Dad. Now, he's in another bedroom down the hall, and uh, he's trying to sell his car on eBay. And uh, so when he first yelled, Dad, I was just slightly annoyed and just didn't say a word. I just completely ignored him. Well, Wesley is not deterred by much of anything. And so about 10 seconds later, he's standing in my doorway, looking at me trying to go to sleep, and says again, Dad, only a little louder. Well, at this point, I have to acknowledge him, so I just give him a kind of gruff, what? And he says, well, first of all, Dad, I'd like a little bit better attitude out of you than what? (laughs) Well, that's about... uh, Uh, the time I got up and helped him. Now, the what that I kind of gave my son, that gruff expression, that response to him, uh, was a reflection of what was going on in my heart. I mean, Christ says uh, later on in in the Gospel of Matthew that the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. It just kind of comes up, comes out. But aren't there other times when what we say actually hides, even masks, what's going on inside our hearts. Jesus will say later on in this same gospel, referring to the Pharisees, that this people honors me with their lips, what they say, but their hearts are far from me. The Pharisees were great pretenders. Uh, They pretended to be one thing, and yet on the inside were something really totally different. You know, if you just listen to what the Pharisees say, if you just watch what the Pharisees do, uh, you would think, without knowing what Jesus says about them, uh, you would think that their hearts were wholly devoted to the Lord, but they were not. And here's why, as we're going to see in this passage, Jesus will say of them that they practice their righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. In other words, they cared so much more for what people thought of them than what God thought of them. They longed for the applause of earth, but not so much for the applause of heaven. And yet they thought they were right with God. Well, they were not. Jesus refers to them as hypocrites. And what I think you will see today is that all of us are at times hypocrites in the way we seek to walk with the Lord. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that 
your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, sees everything, will reward you. Continuing on in verse 5, and when you pray, uh, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that you need what you need before you ask Him. And then skipping down to verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, it seems like you speak to everything about us, and you know us in ways we don't even recognize ourselves. And so, Lord, would you teach us today, speak to us, open the eyes of our heart to see, to hear from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things that um, we have to keep in mind as we go through uh, the Sermon on the Mount is what, is what is Christ's intent? What is he trying to do? Well, we learn from the very beginning that what he wants for you, even more than you want for yourself, he wants for you to flourish. Now, if you don't keep that in mind, what, what you may feel at times is, gosh, Jesus is pretty mean because he's real direct about my sin your sin. But what we have to recognize is that, that being direct in this way is a sign of his compassion, his mercy to us, because he's seeking to, to help us see the destruction of our sin so that we'll turn away from our sin and, and turn uh, toward him that we may find the kind of abundant life that he gave his life so that we could enjoy. So, so keep that in mind as we go through this sermon. Now, in this part of the sermon, he is going after one thing, one big fat sin, practicing our righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And so, what I want to do this morning is to ask three questions of this text. First, what does it look like? What does it look like to practice our righteousness before other people? Second, then, you know, why do we do that? And the question being, why are we so tempted to practice our righteousness before other people? And third, since we are tempted in that way, how do we learn to practice our righteousness before the audience of one, before God? So three questions, what does it look like? to practice our righteousness before others? Why are we tempted to do that? And how do we learn to practice our righteousness before the audience of one? So first, 
What does it look like to practice our righteousness before other people? And Jesus gives us three examples, starting with giving. Verse 2, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. It's done. Now, whether that involved a literal trumpet or not, Jesus is making the point uh, that, that much of their motivation for giving to the needy was to be praised by other people, was to receive the applause of earth rather than the applause of heaven. They cared so much more about what people thought of them than what God thought of them. And, and here's what that means. Sinclair Ferguson put it in a really interesting way. When they gave to the needy to be praised by others, what they were really doing was, was turning what should have been a gift into a purchase. Because they really weren't helping the poor half as much as they were using the poor to help them, to help enhance their reputation among others. And so they received their reward in full. Whatever applause they received, whatever praise they received from other people, that was it. It would last for a second and be gone. There would be no applause coming from heaven. So here's, here's really, in this passage, what Jesus is doing. He's making a very, very important point that he makes all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. And that's this. It's never enough just to do the right thing. It's never enough just to do the right thing. We need to do the right thing with the right motivation. And in this case, it means giving, not only to meet the needs of other people, which of course is a very, very important thing, but we give with an eye to God and not to uh, the others around us so that we may be praised by them. Uh, we give with an eye to God in terms of obedience. We want to obey the one who has given his life to us. We, uh, we look to him in, in our giving as, as gratitude for all that he has given to us in, in Christ, everything we need for life and for godliness. And, and we look with an eye to God in our giving uh, as a desire to please our heavenly Father. So, so that's what we are, are supposed to do, and, and we're supposed to do that in secret. Verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Now, I, I love that. I've loved that since I was a, a teenager reading God's Word and saw Jesus is kind of funny right here. Don't get your, let your left hand know what your right hand is, is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret, who knows everything you do, uh, will reward you. So the, the question becomes, can we begin, can we learn to really do, do our good deeds giving? praying, fasting, in a way that our focus is on the Lord and not on those around us? Can we really learn to be satisfied with what God wants for us as he sees us doing what he has asked us to do? Now, let me just say that one of the things you need to understand about Jesus here is he's not being literal in the sense of you don't have to hide when you give uh, your offering. I mean, we, we give as a part of worship. But what he is really saying is this, you need to do it uh, in, in such a way that the motivation of your heart is not to be seen by others, but to be seen by the one who sees you in secret. Uh, the important thing is the motivation. The important thing 
is why you give. Now, let me give you two examples, because this can get a little bit subtle. Um, first example, I, I have a good friend who got out of college, and for the first time in his life, as he's working, he's got some money. He's never really had any money. And uh, he's uh, got some money all of a sudden, and uh, several years out of college, he's, he's given a fair amount to, to the church. You know, he's, he's tithing, and it, it ends up being a fair amount. He's in a small church. And uh, what happens, though, is that he got a bit proud of his giving. And I know that because, uh, first of all, he, um, he started calculating what percentage of the total offering, the total budget, uh, was he giving. Now, the other reason that uh, I know that he got a bit proud was that he told his mother one day how much he had given, and he got exactly what he deserved, silence, even from mom, not just from heaven, but from mom. Now, how do I know these things? Well, that moron was me. (laughs) Now, let me give you another example, and I promise this is not me. This is the good example. Another young man gets out of college and uh, never really had a lot of money, but all of a sudden, within about three or four years, he is earning a lot of money. I mean, a lot of money. And, uh, um, and so much so that, that within about three or four years, he's giving as much as he made in his salary the first year out of college. And, uh, and he calls his father, they're talking about it, and it comes up, and, and he shares with some real excitement about what the Lord has prospered him and enabled him to do in terms of his giving. And, and the difference here is this, he, he wasn't bragging about it, he was just so excited that God would do that for him and enable him. Uh, than to do that in, in response to God's goodness to him. And, and so what he was wanting then was his, his, his dad to join him in rejoicing at what the Lord had done. Do you see the difference? Totally different. Both very similar situations, but one is doing it with an eye to God and not with an eye to those around them. He was not bragging. He was not looking for the affirmation of others, but for the affirmation of God. So, Two examples, two very different motivations. One for the applause of others, one for the applause of heaven. Now, Jesus gives us two other examples. He moves from giving to praying and then to fasting. And the point being this, in all three, that that no matter what good deed we do, what good things we do, the motivation behind what we do is just as important as what we do. They need to be in sync. And so when we practice our uh, doing good things primarily for the motivation of other people, then we're really not doing it in a righteous way. And that really isn't righteousness according to the Word of God. So I want to get to our second question. Why in the world are we guilty of sometimes doing good things uh, with uh, maybe the major motivation of wanting other people to see us do those good things? Or why is it uh, sometimes uh, when we've done something good, we can't really stand it until uh, somehow, maybe even subtly, we've, at, we've, we've let other people know what we've, we've done? Why do we practice our righteousness before other people? Well, this question is a very important one for me, and I have wrestled with this text 
uh, for myself very personally. And, and by the way, I always do that. I, I never preach without having to ask the question, what are you saying to me? I, I want to be able to stand in integrity and be able to speak to you. But this is, is an important text for me because um, uh, you may not know the Enneagram personality profile. Maybe you do, but uh, whether you do or not, on the Enneagram profile, I am a three. Now, what that's called is the achiever. Uh, there are strengths and weaknesses, of course, with each of the personality profiles. Strengths include being self-assured, being competent, uh, being a role model who inspires others. But listen to the primary weaknesses or the primary weakness. Being overly concerned with what others think of them. Is that a weakness for me? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not as significant in my life now as it was, say, 10, 15 years ago. But it's still there. And, and you know, when you think about it, it's not just something that Enneagram 3s wrestle with. It's a universal problem, I would say, for all of us. At some point, we wrestle with wanting other people in an unhealthy way to affirm us. Let me just say, there's nothing wrong with being affirmed by other people. That's some of the ways that God encourages us at times. But when our primary desire is to do something and, and can't really stand it unless we're affirmed by other people, then th there's something that's gone wrong. You know, we, uh, as, as a friend has, has put it, we are affirmation chasers. You know, if you... If you have had children, or if you have good friends who have children and you spend time with those children, uh, it becomes very obvious, you know, watch me. Those are the two words you hear a lot, or at least you see that, watch me swim, watch me draw, watch me color with inside the lines, and, you know, watch me do this, watch me, watch me do that. And not all of that is bad, but, but what happens is that, that sometimes as, as we grow into adults, while we stop using those words, watch me, we still oftentimes live those words out. But what happens is that, that our watch me posture uh, just becomes a lot more sophisticated. You know, watch me get a promotion. Uh, watch me move into a million-dollar home. Watch me drive a $70,000 car. Watch me take a $10,000 vacation, Instagram users. Watch me fit into a size four. Watch me preach a sermon. Can you imagine a pastor ever having some wrong motivation to preach a sermon? All of these things actually are morally neutral things. They're not right. They're not wrong. Until we start practicing them in order to be seen, to, to get our emotional love tank filled with other people's applause and approval. Uh, until we begin to really get our sense of, of self-worth from what others think of us rather than what God thinks of us. And so, as we wrestle with that, as we acknowledge that there are times when we are affirmation chasers, you know, how many times have you fished for a compliment? I've done it. I would imagine most of us have. We are affirmation chasers, and so what do we do about it? That's our last question. How do we learn to practice our righteousness before an audience of one? Now, that's the way the, the Puritans described living in the face of God, living before God as our primary audience. He should be our audience of 
one. He should be our focus. You know, what he thinks of us should matter so much more than what other people think of us. Uh, we, we should desire the applause of heaven so much more uh, than the applause of earth. But again, the question is, how do we do that? How, how do we learn uh, to, to practice our righteousness before an audience of one? Well, think about it this way. Years ago, Rolling Stone conducted an interview with James Taylor, the, the, the singer, well-known singer from the really late 60s and, and forward, still doing concerts today. And one of the questions that was asked of, of James Taylor was this, how do you deal with insecurity when other people criticize your music? And this is what James Taylor said. How, here's how I deal with it when people criticize my music. I tell myself I will be fine as long as every once in a while someone like Bob Dylan or Paul McCartney says to me, keep going, kid. You know, he's, he's telling the story of, of most of us. We all run to, to bigger voices when, when the chirping voices hit our insecurities. We look for some larger, bigger, more credible voice to kind of negate the verdict from those who criticize us. It's a, it's a human impulse. It's, it's something that is not at all unique to James Taylor, not unique to artists, not unique to any kind of people. It is very much a human problem. And so here's the, the point that that Christ is making for us in this passage. There is only one larger, bigger, more credible voice that can give you what you are really looking for when you want affirmation. As long as you look for affirmation from other people as your main source of encouragement, again, there's nothing wrong with uh, being blessed by the affirmation of other people. But as long as you look for affirmation from other people as your main source of encouragement, it will be a never-ending roller coaster ride with your emotions. You will be up and down. One day someone affirms something you've done and you feel really good. The next day someone criticizes what you've done and, and your spirit just sinks until you listen to the voice of God as the primary voice that you need to hear, life is going to be an emotional roller coaster. Let me give you some examples of that, and I'll be quick with these, but I want you to hear these. And you could, you could make a very long list of these. These are things that you should go over and over and over until uh, you really do begin to trust in God's voice and, and not so much in the voices around you. First example, unlike others, God doesn't condemn us when we fall, no matter how large the fall is. Instead, he tells us there is no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1. Unlike others who, who reject us when we bring shame on ourselves, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5. And unlike others who give up on us when we feel like a 
failure because we've disappointed them on ourselves. God, God tells us, I began a good work in you, and, and I will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6. I mean, hear those words. You're going to fail. Others are going to look at you and, and look down on you, and yet God says to you, I don't do that. Uh, what I'm doing is committing uh, to be with you and, and not to leave you and, and also to complete the good work I have begun in you. Unlike others who pray occasionally for us, which is a wonderful thing, Jesus tells us, I live, I live to make intercession for you. Hebrews 7:25. And unlike others who find it difficult to delight in us when they realize how deeply flawed we are, God says, I delight in you as an artist delights in his work. I rejoice over you with gladness. Zephaniah 317, finally, and again, we could go on and on and on, but you need to learn to hear his voice because his voice will give you what you need to stay the course and to live with great joy and great satisfaction. Unlike others whose affirmation of us will last only for the moment, God will one day affirm us in a way that will never go away. Well done, good and faithful servant. You need to hear his voice. Otherwise, life will be an emotional roller coaster. I want to give you three very simple applications, and I'll be very brief. First, the next time you have done something worthy of affirmation, which we do because we're made in the image of God and we're redeemed. So the next time you do something that really is worthy of affirmation, instead of fishing for compliments, turn to your heavenly Father and let him or hear him say to you, say about you, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now he said that about Jesus, at his baptism. But if you are in Christ, you too are his beloved son, and he is well pleased with you. So hear him saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Hear him say that about you, because it is true. Second, the next time you've done something despicable, which you will do, and I will do, the next time you've done something despicable, Instead of wallowing in guilt and shame, turn to your heavenly Father in confession and repentance and hear him say about you, this is still my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Third, if you're a teenager, I'm going to ask you to do something that very, may be very, very odd sounding, but one of the most important things perhaps you will ever do I want you to take a 30-day break from posting pictures of yourself on social media. Instead, use your social media for the sole purpose of lifting up and encouraging other people, not yourself, but affirm other people. Take a break for being an affirmation chaser. Affirm others with your social media rather than looking for them to affirm you. Do that. Do that. And you might just find that you hear the glorious applause from heaven. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we are affirmation chasers. Sometimes we realize it. Sometimes we, we don't. 
And Lord, help us be encouraged by the legitimate affirmation we receive from others. But Father, may we look primarily to you for affirmation. May we live before an audience of one. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.